Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about reducing screen time in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I hope that you are having a great Friday and are making some wonderful Screen Strong plans for your kids this weekend. Remember, we've got to keep replacing the screen time with these non-tech activities. Last week, I did an online presentation for a group of parents who had questions about balancing screen time during distance learning. And I know how hard this is because I have two teenagers in in our home, and so we're living it. We're all struggling with it. So we decided to record the presentation and share it with you all today. I hope it helps you, and I hope you enjoy it. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. Natalie, for having me. My background is in nursing. I'm a registered nurse and I have four children. My husband and I have lived in North Carolina for quite a while. And my story quickly, I will just give you a synopsis of why I'm I'm here talking to y'all today and, and what I do full time now. I'm not in the hospital working, but I'm still definitely working in nursing, it feels like, with all the issues around screens. So we have four children. My oldest son, his name is Adam, and he graduated in 2010 from high school. So, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, Adam became very addicted to video games when he was in middle school and then through high school. And it was back during the time when I had no idea um, that there was such a thing as being addicted or dependent on a screen. And so we learned the hard way uh, um, how all the things not to do. (laughs) And um, because when he went to college, he ended up gaming his whole first year of college and he dropped out of college. He went to NC State and... um, And I wasn't there setting the kitchen timer. So he decided that he could get enough grades to keep things going. But the end of his first year, he ended up not finishing his classes because he just gamed the whole time. So that was a wake up call for our family. Adam was a very good student. And so that was a real shock when that happened to us. Then what happened when he came home, he decided he wasn't going back to school. Um, He was on my couch. And I guess he was just going to be a gamer. And so that kind of made me hit the panic button a little bit and say, oh my goodness, um, it's time for you to start your life. So we ended up uh, actually getting an army recruiter to come to our house and they recruited Adam into the military where he spent five years, the next five years of his life in the infantry. He went to Iraq. He sort of started his life, I say. So he's back now and doing very well. And he did finish college and he is actually currently in law school. So I'm very proud of him, but our story was a very um, trying story for uh, all through middle school and high school. And it took us a long, we took the long way around (laughs) to get him back on track. So as a result of all that, I started doing a lot of research on what was happening to kids and their brains and why were they getting so addicted to this technology And around that time, my daughter was coming through high school and I decided based on the recommendations from some really good friends, not to give her a smartphone. She had a phone, but it was kind of like a flip phone. It was just a talk and text phone. And I was very different from my peer group. Uh, I stood out from the culture on this because of what had happened to my oldest son. So I was very motivated not to create a whole nother problem with my daughter. She did beautifully well. 
she had tons of friends and all the myths that we think are true about kids not being on social media just aren't true. We, we lived it. And then now I have, um, my, my younger children are 16. They are 16 um, year old twin boys. So they're in 10th grade and I'm right there with you, um, being the mom at home or dad at home with, the digital online virtual learning that's going on. So we've had to continuously adjust um, all the rules in our house and how I'm parenting around this. But what I wanna share today is just a very good summary or kind of a high level summary and some tips of what I've learned about kids in screens and about their physical and emotional and mental development really around screen time versus in-person time and how our role as parents um, is absolutely critical and and if this is going to be successful or not. So back to my story with Adam, when he was coming through all these problems with, you know, being so enamored and um, just really dependent on his screen time, I, my husband and I sort of failed in our position as parents. We let him set the pace. And that was our very first really big mistake. I was under the impression, even though I had gone through nursing school and learned a lot about human development, I was under the impression that around 15 or 16, my kid was an adult because he was taller than me and he physically had grown and he had hair on his legs and he had a mustache. And I thought that he was an adult. So he would be able to manage all of this screen technology. However, I learned um, that that was a really big mistake. And that was a big blind spot I have. And, and I think for parents, I think just to say up front, I think that we have to be very careful about our biases and our blind spots, especially with our kids, because it's really hard to really fathom that they would get so off track on something. And, you know, you don't want to believe bad things. You don't want to believe bad things can happen. And I just never, I thought Adam was so smart, but I really confused his intelligence with his maturity. So that's the first point I want you to get today. Your kids are very, very intelligent. In fact, you might think, and you might be correct in assuming that they're better at certain things like math, for example, <laughs> I can't do my kids math anymore. <laughs> so, you know, we get confused and we think, okay, they're really intelligent. So therefore they're mature has nothing to do. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. And that one point alone is going to really help you with your screen dilemma that you may be in. So the, the, the first point point is that it takes a long time for the frontal cortex in our child's brain to get fully connected. And I, I kind of say, you know, that their frontal cortex isn't plugged in yet. <laughs> their screen is, but not their brain. And, um, and I'm kind of joking, but I'm really not joking. It's really true. The connections to their judgment center in their brain are not fully myelinated yet. They're not fully used yet. They're not connected. So while they are very intelligent, the speed with which to assimilate wisdom and all the data they need to do that. It just, the functional part of that brain isn't there yet. So you can all take a big sigh of relief and realize that a lot of the troubles that you're um, struggling with potentially, if you have some conflict in your home over screen time, there's 
it's, it's not their fault. And um, what we need to understand is their brains are not, they're just not able to withstand the temptation. So it's very similar. If you were going to put your 14 year old or your 12 year old in an 18 wheeler on 485 and ask them not to get in an accident, it's just impossible. They don't have the cognitive ability. They don't have the physical ability. All these things aren't there. So we're really asking our kids to do a whole lot that they're not really prepared for. The other thing that I learned about brain development was that there are a lot of things that happen in our kids' lives that really form their brains. And there's a lot of things that don't happen in their life that also form their brain. So their brain is activity driven and their brain development is only gonna be as good as the activities that we allow them to experience. And I say we, because it is our job as parents to be their coach um, they cannot coach themselves, and it's our job to be sure they're getting a super good balanced, uh, you know, diet of activities that don't include just screen time. There has to be other things in their life, like time with people, face-to-face -face time and communicating with people there, um, and, and friends, there has to be a lot of movement in their life. They have to get a lot of exercise. All of these things attribute to their balanced brain development. If they are just on a screen all day, it's going to activate the midbrain, which is the emotion center, the limbic area of their brain is going to be super activated and hyper stimulated. And if that's all they do all day, the other areas of their brain don't grow. And actually around puberty, which is why I love talking to this age group, this like fifth to eighth grade age group around this time your kid's brain is pruning itself. And what that means is it's, it's taking inventory of what pathways we're using and what pathways we're not using. And it will prune away the pathways that your child isn't using. This is why it's really important for them to learn a lot and be exposed to a lot of good things during this window of opportunity because we're sort of in a race against the clock. Um, the more they can learn during this time, the better it's going to stick. It's going to be more long-term and it's just going to make their life a lot easier. So for example, kids who are in a two language home learn that very early on and they can speak with that um, accent very well for both languages as they grow. If you don't learn a second language until after puberty, you will never be able to form the the um, accent the way you would if you had learned it when all those pathways were being formed. You can still learn it, but a good linguist is going to be able to detect that you didn't grow up learning that language. So that's kind of our mantra for how we um, handle screen time. Uh, a little dab will do you. They don't need a ton of screen time. They do need some. Obviously now with school screens, we've got a lot of work we got to do on a screen. But without the balance of other activities in their life with chores and um, life skills and, like I said, um, human to human, face to face communication, working with their hands, a lot of exercise, a lot of movement, sports, all those things. If we don't have all that stuff integrated right now, we're going to pay the price later. And that's basically what happened in my house under my roof and i had no idea of the things that adam was missing in his life one of the biggest things that um kids miss right 
off the bat when they are on a screen, when they're spending, we'll say too much time on a screen is number one is reading. They quit reading because reading requires just a ton of brain neurons <laughs> that are not in the limbic area of our brain. <laughs> and um, our kids right now are craving low effort, high reward activity. So Fortnite fits that bill, but reading a novel does not fit that bill. The second thing that's the most critical thing that they're missing um, that screens replace is attachment to their family. This is critical. These critical early attachments I'm not talking about when they're an infant, even though that's super important. Of course, we know medically speaking that if babies aren't attached physically even to their families, that they will die. This has just been proven, you know, years ago, many times, but as they grow through adolescence and puberty and adolescence, this attachment is also critical that they continue this strong, healthy attachment with their family, their family, their parents, um, especially the adults in their life need to be their compass, not their peers. This is the other thing that really threw me when I was learning the hard way with my kids early on. And then now what I know about the research is how important it is for kids to be more attached to their family unit than to their peers. And I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this here when we're going to talk about social media. But these two things, the, the critical things that are missing from a kid's life when they get an imbalance with their screens is what you as a parent, as a coach, because you're coaching your kids right now, um, have to be really aware of the reading and the attachment. So what does this have to do with school right now, what are we going to do? We've got, um, we, we, many of y'all probably had a lot of screen conflicts or, you know, before all this happened with quarantine and then now quarantine hits and it's, it's almost like saying, okay, kids, you're not allowed to smoke, but we're going to move into the tobacco factory, right? And we're going to have all these cigarettes and, but you can't smoke. <laughs> and so it's really a dilemma and parents have been really frustrated. We have um, the organization uh, that I have started is called Screen Strong. So you can go to our website on screenstrong.com. And when the quarantine hit a few months into it, we started a um, private Facebook group and it's called Screen Strong Families. And we currently have over 1200 families in that group that are really struggling with how do I get my hands around um, the added extra time that they're just the sheer volume of time that they're standing, sitting, staring at a screen. And I already was sort of losing the battle, but now you know, the screens are out. My kids are saying I have to do homework. They're giving me all these excuses. And I will say that with um, my story with Adam, that the point in time where we can pinpoint where things went from bad to worse in our home was in the ninth grade when they issued a um, school issued laptop. And once that happened, I was not able to control his time on his video games. Um, so I can look back very clearly and pinpoint that day <laughs> he came home. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't control 
using the kitchen timer, getting him off of Call of Duty or World of Warcraft, he would tell me he was doing homework, but he was playing World of Warcraft instead. And so I want to suggest to you, this is what your kids are doing. And I work in this community um, and I've worked in this um, for so many years. So I know that kids inherently do not use screens the way that you do. And as teachers and as teachers and administrators, we think, oh, this technology is so wonderful. And look at all the things we have at our fingertips. And all they have to do is get on and learn and learn and learn. But I just want you to understand that kids don't use screens the same way that we do. Kids see screens as entertainment. And so this is why we try in, you know, the academic world to make our learning really fun. And we try to make everything kind of look like a video game. <laughs> and you know, learning is really hard and learning is kind of boring sometime and learning is very lonely. And that is the problem with screens and, and, and kids. Now I'm not saying that there isn't a lot of good things. There are a lot of good things. And right now, thank goodness we have our academic technology because what would our kids be doing, right? They'd miss a whole year but it's not a hundred percent. It's obviously, you know, this, you know, being in class in front of a teacher is always going to be better for a whole ton of reasons that I could do a whole nother webinar on. But today let's focus on what you can do to make this learning experience better for them and what you can do to keep them from spending too much time on the screen time that they shouldn't be on right now. So when I talk to schools and I talk to administrators a lot about this. We, um, we have to make the distinction between the learning screen and the entertainment screen. Even though for kids, it's all entertainment. And when your kids are on a webinar with their math class, I can guarantee you that many of them are on their phone playing Fortnite or on their Instagram, you know, doing their social media. They're doing it kind of under the table and whatever. Um, these are not bad kids. This is what kids do. Th this is just like if you had a three-year-old in the room, they'd be running around. This is just normal. It's expected. But because of the accountability is not really there, like if you were in a classroom, the teacher would see that you had your phone out and probably ask you to put it away. But when you're on a Zoom call, you can get away with a whole lot. And I'm sure, Natalie, you have heard of many stories <laughs> of what kids are doing you know, on their screen during class. And we have blind spots and, um, and we think, and me included, me included, think that our kids would never do that. It must be all the other kids that are doing that until one day I walked out on the porch where my kids were doing their online school. And one of my boys is playing chess during math class. So I'm like, how can you do that? So I see it right in my own house. Of course, we're not immune to any of this. Um, so it's something we have to just get rid of our blind spot and understand that our kid is going to go for this low effort, high reward activity. So I'm going to give you some tips. I've got about eight things quickly that I want to go over as far as tips for distant learning. And then I want to go over some prevention tips for you to be able to prevent screen addiction, like what happened to us in our house. So the first thing that you have to do with, um, distant learning is really sharpen your current screen rules. What I found when I am out speaking to audiences about this is um, moms sort of, and dads, they feel like, well, we're in this unusual time. So 
we used to only say they could play Fortnite for 30 minutes a day, but you know, now we feel sorry for them and we're going to let them play for two hours a day, which really is probably about five hours a day. So you cannot relax your screen rules just because we're in a quarantine and things are different. Doesn't mean anything changed about the reason why you initially put those rules there. You put those rules there to keep balance in your kid's life. You put those rules there so they would be forced to do their homework and their chores and talk to you and help you with dinner and do all these other things and not have screens be the distraction. The second thing is that the focus should be on school when you're on a screen right now, the focus should be on school. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a very limited recommendation um, as far as screen time for kids and it's two hours a day. And wow, we are blowing that right out of the water. So we know they're gonna get more than their brain can handle. We already know that. So because they are gonna get more than they technically physically need, then we've gotta be really careful that that screen time is spent on school activities and not playing Fortnite for five hours or Call of Duty or Minecraft. So, or even being on social media, social media counts right in with this, the same thing. It's just a smaller screen, it's the same thing. It does the same thing to their brains. So this is gonna be tough because a lot of families think, you know, um, we're in this relaxed home, you know, front and, and we just, you know, they can't do school all day. We gotta let them play on some other things. And what your job is their coach is going to have to be that you're going to have to come up with some other activities for them to do to fill their time. So they need to spend probably all of their screen time on schoolwork, unless you can get some of this schoolwork printed out, which is what I do with my kids. They still have textbooks. I request the textbooks. They bring the textbooks home anytime that they can get their eyes off the screen and on real paper, that's what I'm interested in. They actually do much better. There's a lot of studies on this. When kids read on paper, they retain the information better. It imprints differently in their brain, the way they see the letters. And especially if they take notes and write about the material they're reading, then it goes to that next level of memory retention. So I request, um, you know, um, anytime I can get something printed off, or just a textbook from the school. So they do now, especially, I transfer as much as I can into a real textbook because I'm trying to eliminate this time with them staring at a screen. Um, the third tip is to set school hours in your house. And so what this means is um, your kid can't come in at 10 o'clock in the morning and say, um, well, I want to play, I want, I want to do my Fortnite time right now, um, instead of this afternoon, then I'll do math this afternoon. No, this is a really bad idea. School hours need to be set very clear that between this hour and this hour, you're doing your schoolwork and you're going to get it done and give them almost like a, a goal, right? A time limit. Otherwise they will spend all their time saying I'm doing my homework when they're not doing their homework, they're checking their social media, they're texting their friends, they're playing Fortnite, they're checking on their snap thing, you know, they're doing all this stuff. So you've got to discipline them to when they're doing school that they focus on school. And this has to be you setting the actual hours that they're doing schoolwork. Um, number four is that you need to 
think really hard and get real creative about thinking outside the box a little bit on what activities they can do because we all know it's not sustainable to be on a screen all day. This is just not sustainable. It's not going to create balanced brains. So we have to think ahead for them, especially this age between fifth grade and eighth grade. This is actually the worst age group like to give them social media for example because they can't they're just like a bull in the china cabinet their brain is not able to discipline and um, control their impulses they're at their highest you know almost at their uh, their highest risk taking stage of their life that actually happens in high school but they're building up to that so you have to schedule activities for them and i know you might think well, why should I have to do that? They're kids. They need to think of what they're going to do on their own. And I'm going to tell you that um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> they're not going to, because they're craving low effort, high reward activity. You have to find some things that they can do. And on this list of activities, there needs to be some chores. There needs to be regular chores, especially during this quarantine time. And I would get uh, legal pad and write it down on a, on, on a piece of paper and put it on the refrigerator and say between eight and nine, this is what you're doing. You're getting up and brushing your teeth and making your bed and making your breakfast And between nine and 10, this is what you're doing. Literally write out the blocks of time of what they should be doing. Kids need this direction desperately. They are not able to organize their day. And so what they're going to do is play Fortnite, and I keep picking on Fortnite, but they're going to play video games and get on their social media and all the little nooks and crannies, and they're going to be exhausted and anxious and depressed and stressed by the end of the day. So you have to guide this because we've kind of lost our boundaries because when they went to school, this is what school does for us. They have blocks of time where they're moving from class to class. So you have to recreate this in your home. And it sounds kind of silly at first, but let me tell you, this works. And um, it gives them direction. Everybody's more calm. We're doing math right now. Why, you know, are you playing with a dog, right? So you've got to keep them on track. So the schedule, the daily schedule is really important. Number five, this tip is very, very hard to do, but it is so important. And, um, the, the tip is that your kids cannot be alone on their screens and you're going to be frustrated to hear that, but it is so critical that you know what they're doing. And if you can't see what they're doing on their screen because you're working and you have a project or like right now I'm on this webinar. So obviously I can't see what my kids are doing. Um, they're not on their screens right now because I can't see what they're doing. So I have to schedule my life a little bit too around that. And this is really important. The screens should not be in their bedroom. They should not say, oh, I'm going to my bedroom and do my homework. The screens need to be in the common area in your house. If you're in the kitchen like I am all day, then our laptops, their laptops sit on the kitchen table and their back is facing me. And this is really critical because if they're sitting there talking to you, oh yeah, mom, I'm doing math, you know, and they're not, they're watching somebody play Fortnite. <laughs> so you have to be really careful because remember that our job is not to trust that our kids are adults yet. They're not adults yet. They are, they're very intelligent, but they're not mature. They're not wise. And our job is not to trust our kids. 
we cannot trust our kids. Why would we trust our kids? We, we confuse trust with love and that has nothing to do. We want our kids to trust us. That is your job right now in, in this age group, this middle school age group. Our job is to get our kids to trust us and to see us as their coach. And um, we love our kids, but I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. And that's okay. That technology is out there luring them away. They have a very, very intelligent, but under construction brain that's not ready for that. So of course I'm not gonna trust that process. And really I don't trust technology with my kid. So um, uh, my goal is to just continue to build this really good relationship. And part of this relationship is built on not letting them alone on their screens. And you can have some questions about that if you need to. All right, the sixth thing is to give them a break. So when they are on their, um, in their school screens, it's really hard to go even an hour at a time. It's so hard. Our brains need to break. They need to get their eyeballs off the screen. They need to go outside if possible is the best thing to do. Run around the block, walk the dog, ride their bike, even for 10 minutes. 10 minutes of physical activity every hour is going to be huge for your kids' grades. They're going to do better in school. That movement and, and this has been proven with kids um, that have ADHD, that they do much better when they have, you know, these movement times during the day. And, and the reason why this is, is our, our kids get very stimulated when they're on a screen and they need to be able to get that energy out. And when they can't get it out and it gets all bottled up, that fight flight mechanism in their brain is being triggered. And um, it's like they're running from a bear and the stress level is really high. And the way that we reduce the cortisol and the way we reduce the stress is physical activity. So you will see a big difference and you might just have them um, drop and do, you know, 20 push-ups. <laughs> I mean, they don't have to go run a mile, although running is really good. Um, but you would, I would, I would highly recommend, especially if you have boys. I mean, it's really important for girls too, but boys, especially with their testosterone and all this, they get into this, have a, a little Excel spreadsheet and have a record of their um, push-ups, sit-ups, pull, you know, um, pull-ups, all these calisthenics boys love this. They love to break their record. They love to beat dad. They love to beat mom. So if you can just have a time to do this physical movement during every hour, that's what we recommend from a medical recommendation. So that's that break that's so critical. And then when they get back in their chair and then they can focus and, it, and it's, you're going to get much better focus that way. Number seven is to have a downtime strategy. What are you going to do when school is done and you don't want them getting on Fortnite or Minecraft or Call of Duty or whatever the latest thing or their phone? We're going to talk about the phone in a second. So what are you going to do? You're not going to depend on your kid to figure it out. They will not figure it out because what will they do? They will choose the lowest effort, highest reward activity out there. So you've got to have a downtime strategy. And so what this means is there's got to be some things that are fun to do that you can come up with um, that they can fill in this downtime. It's the nooks and crannies that, that 
get to us. This is just like a diet. When you're on a diet, you do really well, right? It's your meals, you measure things out, you've got your three meals a day and your healthy snack, but what's gonna hurt you the most are those little bites of a cookie or a chip or, or something during the day. It's the little calories that add up to be really the bad um, calories in our diet. And so this is so true with screens. I cannot stress this enough that, oh, mom, I just want to look at it for a minute. I just want to look at your phone. I just want to check this. I'm just going to check Amazon. I'm just going to check whatever. It's only going to take me a minute. Those are the things that will just break the deal here. Those are the biggest deal breakers because you're trying to get them interested in other activities and other hobbies and other interests. One of the best things you can do for downtime nook, nooks and crannies, I call it, is music. Um, if your child doesn't play a musical instrument, I highly recommend that this becomes your New Year's resolution, whether it's a ukulele, a mandolin, a violin, a guitar, a banjo, a keyboard, it doesn't matter. Get them interested in some kind of musical instrument. That, it, that will just fill so much downtime and it's fun and it's creative and it's hard and it builds grit, but it's fun and they can um, work toward learning something. And so it's super important for us to help our kids do this. They cannot do this on their own. They're, I know of no fifth grader that's going to wake up one day and say, hey, mom, I want to take piano lessons. This is not what they're thinking. So that's why you have to think of what they can do. And you might say, my kid isn't musical and I will just have to disagree. I don't disagree much with parents, but I disagree with that. I used to think that um, there's no way, you know, I, I have no music talent and neither does my husband. <laughs> and so I thought, well, there's no way my kids would ever do this. And um, with the twins, we finally learned that this wasn't true. And they've been in piano lessons since third grade. They can play beautifully. They spend hours and hours and hours playing popular songs, making up songs, learning songs. I mean, it's been the best hobby ever. The other thing you can do during the nooks and crannies is to get them to read uh, for pleasure. Not, I'm not talking about school reading. I'm talking about getting into a novel series. And Natalie, certainly we, you can, you, you know, uh, recommend a ton of really good novel series um, for girls and boys, boys, especially we have to keep our eye on because they don't like to read and we have to get them to love to read. And the way you do that is you do that by reading as a family and everybody maybe on, on that block schedule that you have, you have 30 minutes of reading and you get your book too. And you sit down in the den and make some popcorn and everybody sits down and everybody reads their, their fun book, not their school book, because reading for pleasure at the age of 15 is the primary marker for academic success the rest of their life, which leads to work success, um, life success, you know, being married and having kids and all that reading for pleasure at the age of 15 is critical. That's sort of the, fork in the road when people stop reading. So we want to instill this And the quarantine is a perfect time to do this. When we hit the quarantine, I was so excited. My kids were jumping up and down because our biggest problem in our family now is we don't have enough time to do the things that we like to do. And so with the quarantine, it was like, ah, oh, we have more time. So they have read more books. 
they have learned more um, songs. In fact, they just picked up two more instruments during the quarantine because once you learn one instrument, it's kind of easy to learn other instruments. And they are having so much fun. I mean, yeah, I have to really work hard to get them on that school screen, get that homework done. But I've got the nooks and crannies figured out. And um, the, the other third thing for to fill the nooks and crannies is um, art and keeping art supplies out, um, painting. Even if you do like paint by number, those that is really fun. And you can find really cool paint by number things online to do. Maybe it's those coloring books or maybe it's just um, clay. Anything that you can do to keep those art supplies out and let that fill that downtime so they're not going back to their video game and they're not going back to their phone. Um, so we've got reading, we've got, of course, music, we've got art, lots of movement. They can start, um, maybe you need to check to be sure their bike is like working and there's air in the tires and their helmet fits. And at this age, they're growing a lot. So they may need a new bike. Um, you get bikes for the family. Y'all do bike rides together, all these things, but you've got to have a strategy. They cannot do it initially. They cannot do it themselves. I highly recommend getting Rubik's cubes, having those sitting out. We have kids magazines. Uh, Sports Illustrated, National Geographic, we have those subscriptions. So those that reading material is sitting out on the table because what they see is what they're going to pick up. I recommend um, keeping all your video games under lock and key. Those are not going to be out for daily consumption. If you allow your kids to play, then you're going to schedule that time as well. We have a game-free home now. I highly recommend a game-free home. I'm not saying you have to have a game-free home, but we have completely eliminated all arguments about video games in our house. And after what I went through with my oldest, you would understand why. But we have thousands of families that have done this, and they have really kind of regained their, their kids back. Um, the eight the eighth uh, point that I want to make here on this list is to really be present with your kids, have fun with your kids and talk to them a lot. Use this time to have more conversations. And I know we hear this um, as parents, we hear this. And I used to get kind of cringy when I heard that because I'm like, okay, make me feel guilty, you know, more guilty about not talking to my kids more. But I understand better now after the research I've done and after living this in my life, how important it is to just have those, those daily conversations about things that matter in your family, your values, what they're going through, how they're feeling about things and not having just the one-off conversations, but to have this continuous daily discussion about how they're doing, how school, how are their friends, who's doing what to who, because in this age group, there's so much drama every single day, there's drama. And, um, and they need an adult, they need an adult perspective. And I know that they need to hear from me more than they're hearing from their friends. And so the way you gauge this in your brain, <laughs> in your mom and dad brain is that the balance on the scale needs to be that your kids talk to you more than they talk to their friends. And I know that sounds kind of backwards and crazy because you think, oh no, their friends are super important right now because they're learning how to figure out who they are and they're learning their identity and they have to be around people. And you're exactly right. Their friends are very important, but they only need a few close friends. They don't need a hundred friends and they don't need to get peer oriented and they don't need to spend all their time talking to their friends all day. 
but this is what their imbalanced brain is going to want to do. So you, you are not going to be the cool parent. You're not going to be their best friend in, as far as on that level, but you're going to be their coach. You're going to be sure that you understand what your kids are, are going through and that you're there to speak this truth into their life and your values more than their peers. Does that make sense? We have this thing that we had to develop and it actually started happening, I think right after I was at your school, Natalie, and it's the Screen Strong Challenge and it's seven days off your screen. And you go on our website, it's free, you take it. Um, we give you all the instructions on how to do this. It's a Screen Strong Challenge and it's seven, day, it's seven days of a detox and it's sort of a jump start to reset your home. Because what I realized is that we all are trying to do this. So I decided to do a lot of surveying, a lot of research. I had a lot of little focus groups and we talked to parents about how to do this and how this works. So we have compiled this. This is being transferred over actually to an online course format. The way it is right now is you sign up for it and you get a daily email about what to do that day. But as we speak, we are actually transferring it over to an online course format. So it'll be super easy for you and your husband or partner to sit down and go through the steps on how to start resetting because we have all um, kind of messed up, <laughs> especially with, um, with the quarantine. We kind of got caught a little blindsided and our, our kids are kind of out of balance. So we got to get it back. Now, if you talk to my oldest son, Adam, he would agree that honestly, cold turkey is the only way to do this. I would also agree in theory with that, that is true. Um, and, but we're not talking about all screens. Remember, we're talking about video games and social media. And Natalie, I'm assuming that's kind of what you're talking about too. It's yes. Cause there's these, no getting around that we have school on the, you know, right. And that's fine. Yeah. And see screens for education is awesome. And I, you know, there are certain ways we can make it better, but I mean, it's awesome. What are your kids are not getting addicted to Excel spreadsheets. I can guarantee you where they're having their problem is on that persuasive design that is designed in those video games. And if you want to go to our website and go to the learn tab, you can take a little mini course about what is happening to their brains. And um, our big course is also being transferred over. Um, in fact, Natalie, the thing I did at your school, that workshop is being transferred over to a course format as well. So I'm really excited to finally get that in a better platform. But if you want to do the Screen Strong Challenge, you go through, you read the instructions on how to do it. Um, essentially, in a nutshell, what this is, is you sit down, you tell your kids that things are out of balance and you're going to take a break. You're going to take a vacation from these entertainment screens. We're going to start with a week. Um, ultimately you want to do a month because we know it takes a month to really reset their brain. But we try to say, start with seven days. At least that will get you started. And what you're going to do is, um, introduce, um, some different activities in their life and in, in their day, you're going to get some, uh, you know, um, inter or, um, what am I trying to say? Um, athletic stuff, maybe worked out with them, some exercise. You're going to figure out, you're going to have your game plan figured out before you take their, their phone or their video game away tomorrow, right? You got to have a little bit of a game plan. You have to plan for this and um, you're going to set the rules up. You're going to be very clear about what the expectations are. This doesn't mean that as a mom, you don't use your phone and your social media. You're, you're not the kid. Uh, what's happened in our culture is there's just been this huge flip-flop and now kids seem to be running 
the digital show out there and we've got to get our leadership back as parents. So if you want to take a break too from your social media, that's fine, but this is for your kids. And um, we recommend that you get into the Facebook group because you'll really get some help from parents in there. Um, as much as I'm not a social media driven person, of course, these Facebook groups work really well, just like the Zoom call works really well when we're trying to um, learn and be in a community. So I would recommend that you join the Screen Strong Families Facebook page, learn from the other parents in there how they did it, but you have to do something. You can't expect anything to change if you don't change the actions and the environment in your home. Um, if you're not convinced that video games and social media are, are very, I guess, um, volatile for our kids is a good way to put it. Um, it is a pathway that they can get very, very dependent on really quick. Um, there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Natalie, I know that you see a lot of this in your work, the anxiety and depression and stress that comes with that. It's really, really nice to have a break from it. And what happens because of what we know about brain development, once your kids get used to not having it, they fill their life with things that are really better because you're putting those better things in their path. So it's, they don't hate you. They don't, um, they don't really miss it that much when it's gone actually. <laughs> and they get very excited about other things. And, um, our kids are very resilient, um, um, with some things, but they're not resilient with screens. Um, we confuse this idea of flexibility with being resilient. And just like with drugs, um, kids are not resilient to drugs and they're not resilient to screen addiction. It affects their brain in this age, in this stage of development that is very harmful and it will cause permanent damage. So we have to be careful. That's a whole nother talk, but, um, but it is really important to figure out a strategy to um, start to unwind it and just tell them, look, hey, we've made some mistakes, guys. We've got to get a handle on this. We just have to get a handle on it. I recommend if you're, if you have the warning, if the warning signs, you look on our website for the warning signs. If your kid has these warning signs for screen addiction, that um, you don't even let them play even once a week, because they're just going to get that taste back in their mouth. They're going to, they're going to guide all their activities during the week is going to be in just so they can get to their game on the weekend. So you have to take a break. You have to take a break. One of our tips in the challenge is that you locate another family that you can do this with, even two or three families. And right now on our group, we have a book club going on and we're reading Breaking the Trance and you can jump in and join that book club. You can get that community is really important. But for you locally, right where you are, you talk to a couple of their friends, have them come to the website, have them read some stuff that we have. I have three books on Amazon that are really quick, easy reads and just get your friends on board and say, you know what, we're thinking about kind of doing a detox and cutting back on our screen time. Do you want to do this with us? And then when your, your, your kids have other friends and all they need is just a few friends to do this with them. Then all of a sudden they're kind of out of that bucket and they're thinking about other fun things to do. For example, this summer when all this was happening with the quarantine right at the end of school last year, we started having backyard movies um, in our backyard and I just got a big sheet 
in a, in a projector and oh my goodness, they were even watching the Cars movie, the Disney Cars movie. These are a bunch of 16 year old kids. I'm thinking they had so much fun and all the neighbors would come and they would socially distance. They would bring their chairs and, um, but see, it took me to just kind of spark that on. And the other thing at this age where I am right now, food is very important. <laughs> So it may be important with your kids, but um, uh, we have pizza night a lot where we do homemade pizzas and their friends will come over and we make the dough and we do a lot of cooking. That takes a lot of our time. We make the sourdough bread every week. The kids are involved with that. Um, Adam even does that now and he will text me, uh, you know, I just fed the starter. I mean, it's so funny. So we're just developing all these other life skills in these hobbies and what I'm trying to say is once you break out of that lifestyle and get into this different lifestyle, it is so much fun and it's so much easier than you can imagine. The initial shift is tough and it can be tough, really tough, depending on how long your kids have been dependent on their media. But, um, it, you have to get over that. And that's what we're here to help parents do. We help you get through that hard stage and you get on the other end and then you really have fun with your kids. It is such a better lifestyle. It is so much more fun to limit this. Well, Andrea has a question too, and you kind of touched on movie nights. Great. She was asking in the chat if, how do you feel about um, television, um, educational television, um, you know, Nat Geo and things like that? Yeah. Again, I think that if you, the, the, the rule of thumb is that TV is always better if you can co-view with your kids um, from the time they're born to the time, you know, they're a senior. I mean, it's, it's when you make it more of a family activity, that's your goal. It's sometime not possible to do that. And I understand that. Um, remember that your kids are not going to naturally be attracted to what's good for them in any area. They're just, not that's not their job their job is to do the opposite of what you recommend and um take risks and um so you have to keep an eye on that the the frustrating thing with smart tvs today is you can say okay honey you can go watch an hour of a show but once you leave the room you have no idea what they're doing because they could be on the internet playing a game like you have no idea so that's why um not letting them be alone on a screen is sort of a very good overall rule to have. And I'm, and I'm saying that even as they get older, even in the, they get into ninth, 10th, 11th grade, you still can't trust them. And I know that sounds terrible, but I don't mean it to sound terrible. It's just smart. It's just no coach trusts their, their players. Coaches have to know what their players are doing, right? So you have to look at yourself as a coach, not a cool parent. You want to win this championship. And you know, the only way you're going to do this is to, to be a champion is to practice like a champion. So you've got to have this different mentality um, that you don't want to overprotect your kids. You don't want to shelter your kids. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not at all what that is. In fact, kids who are on screens are way more backwards. They are way more sheltered than kids who were in the real world skinning their knees on their bikes. So we have to remember that um, that's sort of a myth. What was the um, other question, Natalie? Oh, Karen had a question or maybe a suggestion about when kids come over to to play or maybe your your family you're quarantining with or whatever. Um, 
should you or could you ask them to put their phones or their devices in a basket? Yes. So that's a great question. Yeah. yeah. So let me back up real quick with, with smartphones. Um, as our, our recommendations from based on the medical science as well as all the psychology out there, that this age especially, um, the middle school age is the worst age for a smartphone. You can read the article I wrote on psychology today. You can Google that and find that. But this age is the worst because they are searching so heavily for their identity. And you have to be really careful because of the mirror neurons in your child's brain, your child will mimic and want to be just like everybody they see. So you have to be really careful who they're um, exposed to and who they're, they're, you know, on social media basically is what I'm talking about. So there's too many risks for social media. We're not saying that kids shouldn't have phones. There's a Gab phone that you can go on our website and look under our suggested phone. It's a really great concept. It's a great phone. This is what our 16 year olds have. It's talk and text only. There's no internet on it. It's perfect. If you have an iPhone and you think you can lock it down, if you think you can limit all the apps, I'm here to tell you there will be some kid out there that will tell your kid how to get around your parental controls. We've done that you know, training for eight years. It's not going to work. If you want peace of mind, get them a phone that's just talking text. So when they come over to your house, this is the rule. At our house, and we've established this over the years, that we don't do screen activity with kids when they're at our house. Now, with the older kids, if they want to watch, they were watching Casablanca last night or two nights ago. So that's fine. They can watch a movie that I know what, you know, and whatever, but they do not bring their phones or if they have their phones, they're not using their phones. When they were younger, yes, I had a basket at my four-year door that they were not allowed to bring in my house. And the way you handle this with other parents, you handle this in a very humble way. You don't come across like you are, you know, an angel family because we're not, none of us are. But I would tell um, the a new family, for example, I would say, you know, I think this happened a lot when my kids were in middle school, actually like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I would say we've struggled a lot in our house with a screen dependency. And I would j- kind of jokingly say my kids are allergic to video games and they're allergic to porn. So I would appreciate it if we could just not have any screen activity when they're playing. I will take them outside. I will take them to the baseball field. I've got things planned for them to do. Your child doesn't need their phone over here. And the mom usually would kind of laugh. And I would say this, if my kids were going over to somebody else's house to play, I would say the same thing. And I would be very clear about it, but I wouldn't be judgmental. And I wouldn't, I would make it more like this was our problem. (laughs) I'm sure your family has this all figured out, but in our home, what we have found is that if we just let the kids go up in the playroom, they're just not going to play with their toys. They're going to play Fortnite. So we would rather them enjoy each other while they're here. And that means that we're not pulling screens out. And I would always defer to the mistakes that I've made and just say, you know, I'm really working on this. Could you help me with this? And I have never had a mom come back to me and just say, oh, I'm so offended or my kid has to have their phone. Um, I give them my cell number. I say, you can text me if you need to get in touch with them, but they're going to be in the backyard or we have a pond near our house. So they're going to be fishing. They're going to be on the trampoline. You can get in touch with me. Does that make sense? Um, And I also... Um, I know you're going to probably fall off your chair when I tell you this, but we stopped allowing sleepovers 
we got very burned um, when one of my children was in middle school and it was at a sleepover and it wasn't just one time. And this is the story I hear over and over and over from parents. So again, I have to weigh the cost, you know, with the benefit and what we do now, um, because nothing really good um, happens after 10 o'clock at a sleepover. I don't care what age your kids are. Someone always has a device. Somebody always can get around the firewall at the house or the router. Somebody always has a funny video that they want to sh show. And that funny video goes into sexual adult content nine times out of 10. The next one that pops, you know, it's like this dark rabbit hole that they get caught in. So what we have um, found after a number of years of really struggling with this, because, you know, our kids have a lot of friends and um, the sleepover thing was a big deal. We do what we call half overs. We let them go, but we always pick them up before 10 o'clock or 1030, depending on what activity is going on. That has been the best, probably top three of the best parenting decisions <laughs> I've ever made. <laughs> and also in our community, the other moms have just gotten to the point where they're doing the same thing because everybody sleeps better in their own bed. The moms don't want to be responsible for what's going on. If somebody brings in a device and now the whole group gets to see some terrible content, it, it, it relieves the kids as well because deep down they're stressed over it. But um, we have a much better weekend when they wake up in their own bed on Saturday morning. So we kind of get the best of both. And we figured out a fabulous solution, um, especially for girls. I'm telling you, it is um, a really bad setup for things to get unravel very quickly. And it's usually, um, you know, toward the later hours in the evening, because this is when all their guards are down. And this is when our guards are down and they, they, you know, and they're in a group. And when you're ever in a group with your peers, you get more edgy and you do things that you normally wouldn't do. So our rule has been with um, our younger kids, um, there have been no sleepovers. We did, we've, we have gone out of town when my husband, and I had to go to town and they stay with a family that we are very comfortable with. So we do things like that if we have to, but generally, um, um, the only, the only, um, caveat or the only exception to the rule once a year in our school, one of our families who we're very good friends with, in fact, it's the same family that we allow them to stay when we're out of town. The dad has a backyard camp out right before school starts. So the boys go over there. There is no technology. There are tents in the backyard. We allow that kind of stuff. But we, we're very, very mindful about who our kids are hanging out with. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Be sure and share it with your friends. Head over to our website to learn more about our ScreenStrong Challenge and make sure you join our ScreenStrong Families Facebook group for help. Thank you all for listening. And remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong.